One of the things that Paul shares with uh, the Christians there at Corinth is the fact that we work together with God. We, if we're going to do God's work, we have to understand that it's not our work. It's God's work in every aspect of the work. Sometimes we think, oh, well, God benefits from what I do. Sometimes we look at our work for God as something that we do, and it helps God in some way. But Paul says that's not how it works in the Christian life. Our work for God isn't the fact that we do something and God benefits from it, but that we with God work together. Now look in verse number 9 there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 9, if you will. And the first thing that Paul writes here, he says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it since we did last week, but we said that there are two things that we need to remember when it comes to working with God. Number one, Paul says he describes it as a field or farm. That, that phrase, God's husbandry, it means we're God's field, all right, or farm, if you will. And God begins to work in our lives. We said we cannot do anything for God until God does something in us and through us. So we said there's some principles that you can draw out of this picture of being a field or a farm. One of the things was this. We said uh, God begins to work in our life as we are his field or his farm, and it requires patience. We said anyone that works on a field as a farmer knows that what you plant on Monday doesn't just automatically grow, and by Tuesday there's a tree or there's corn or there's any fruit from what they planted. Whenever you plant seeds in a farm, it takes time before, at the end, finally, uh, you'll start uh, seeing the results of that. So it requires patience if you're going to be working in a field or as a farmer. And we said that God's working in our life is because God has been patient with us. God's been slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He's been a, a God that's patiently waited on us to learn and, and to grow. So uh, we, we find that God working in us is patient. We said that God working in us uh, shows his care for us. Any farmer, uh, any, anyone that knows, uh, has planted anything knows that you have to care for what you plant. If you, if you plant flowers, you gotta, you got to trim the flowers you got to make sure that there's water fertilizer and you got to care for that plant if it's going to grow and produce what you want if it's going to bloom the right way and we said god working in our life since we are his field he's been patient with us so that we can grow and he's shown his love and his care for us so that we can continue to to have a fruitful relationship with him the third thing about being a field uh, or a farmer is that you have to have faith. Uh, God's faithfulness to us and uh, really the fact that uh, even if you say, well, I don't believe in myself tonight. And there's people that don't really have a whole lot of confidence and say, man, I, I don't believe in, in myself tonight. Well, God believes in you tonight. There's no lost cause with God. Uh, there's no uh, lost potential with God. God sees who we, who we are to our very core. He sees who you are. He sees the thoughts that you think, and he sees the acts that you do. He, he knows uh, who you are, and yet he still wants to work with you, love you, and care for you. 
And we said a farmer that plants the seed in March, right, in the spring, he's got to have faith that in the fall that seed is going to produce. Every day that he goes and waters and every day that he goes and takes care of the field, he's having faith that there's going to be something that, that's going to come out of all of this work down the road. And God has been patiently working in our lives, lovingly and caring, uh, carefully working in our lives, believing that something's going to happen in our lives, that he is going to produce a work that only he can produce. So we said, Paul says, as workers with God, we are his field. Then he also says, we're not only his husbandry, but we're his building. And we, we got three principles out of that as well. We said, number one, every building has a purpose. Anytime you see a building going up, you know that there's a designer that designed that building. There's engineers that made uh, the columns of the building and, and that put the building together. And it all has a purpose. We said last week the building that we're meeting in right now was built uh, in 1993 and 1994 with this purpose in mind, what we're doing tonight. Those people that gave, that sacrificed, that came and worked and, and put these uh, blocks up and that painted them and put the ceiling, they had this right here as the purpose in mind. That there would be a room, that there would be a place where we could come and study God's word together. So every building has a purpose. God works on you and me with a purpose. He designed you with a purpose. Then we said buildings not only have purpose, but they have firmness. Buildings are not to just be uh, swaying left and right with any little wind that comes around. A, win, a, a, a good, well-made building should be able to withstand uh, quite, of, uh, quite a bit of high winds, all right? High-speed winds. Uh, now, a good building may not always survive a tornado, but a good building should not just blow over with 10-mile-an-hour winds. A building that is built should be firm in its foundation and its building. So every building uh, should have purpose. And God says, I've created you and I've saved you for a purpose, for a design that I've designed you specifically to do. And I've designed you that you might be firm, that you're not going to just be going and moving about with every wind of doctrine. And, and by the way, that's what makes doctrine important. That that. The word doctrine means teaching. What the Bible says is important. I know we live in a society that wants to try to put away what God's word says. Try to make it kind of something old and out of date. It, it was interesting. I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan. And, and uh, there was in the late 80s and, and early 90s, there was a, a Star Trek called The Next Generation as a TV series. And uh, it's on Netflix. And, and I like sci-fi stuff. I like Star Trek. So uh, I've been watching it. And uh, it was interesting that this uh, last episode that I watched, and I don't remember what season I'm on, but uh, this episode, they get to this foreign planet, right? And and uh, as they're observing these alien people, uh, they, they, they're a civilization, and the whole idea of Star Trek is to uh, take on like really uh, interesting or deep topics, and they always come to it with the view of evolution. That's their big thing. And if you ever watch Star Trek, you'll know that everything they base, everything they say on evolution, and so every alien world they go to, they're, they're seeing how evolved are these people? Are they evol as evolved as we are? 
And uh, it was interesting, in this episode, they go and they're not supposed to interfere with the people, but somehow they beam down and they interfere with these, uh, this civilization. And, uh, and because they beam down from nowhere and these people saw it, these people start thinking that they're like angels. And there's a point in the, in the, uh, in the episode where one of the commanders there on the Star Trek ship he says, Captain, we can't have this happen. These people are going to start believing in God. And they're going to go back ages in their evolution. And they're not going to move forward. They need to know that we've moved beyond that. Can I say that the philosophy in our schools today is that very same philosophy? You go in there with a Bible, you go in there saying, I believe what God's word says, and they go, ha, science has already proved you wrong. Though it has not. You know that it takes just as much, if not more faith, to believe in evolution than it does in creation. It takes much more faith, in my opinion, to believe something like evolution than to believe something like the Bible. Both of them require faith. I love the way they call it science, but the strict definition of science means something that has been observed. And since nobody was around for creation other than God, I'll take God's word for it. But you live in a world, and I live in a world, where they want to try to push us off of that. And God says, you're my building, you ought to stand firm on the truth. Brother John brought a great message a few weeks ago about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. So we find that all truth is in God's truth, and we ought, to, we ought to be firm in our teaching, in our convictions of what the Bible says. We're that building. And then the other thing you find about a building is that a building is made to, to have some splendor to it, some beauty to it. You know that when God saves a person, man, he changes that person. And there's some beauty there that was never there before. You see, when Christ comes and indwells us, he gives us part of his beauty. It's unbelievable. The Bible says we're going to share in that glory, and we shall be like him, the Bible says. It's amazing how beautiful God can make something that was at one point very ugly. Man, I, I've known people that were drunks and abused their wives and hit their children, but they got saved and they never did that again. I know men that... Uh, used to have a, a mouth that was so filthy and cursing all the time, but then they got saved and they began to memorize scripture now and they sing songs to praise God and they use their mouth to witness to others and share the truth of the gospel. Only God can do that. It's amazing what God can do to make something so ugly be so beautiful. Lives that were wrecked and in ruin, and God makes them with splendor. Paul reminds everybody at the church of Corinth, he says, I want to remind you of something. You're God's field. He's been patient. He's been loving and caring. He's been working on you to, to produce something. He's given you purpose and firmness and splendor. That's who God has been doing, and uh, that's what God's been working in your life to do. But then he says in verse number 10, he says, but now we also need to build on that. That's the foundational truth. And then he says, but now you and I in God's work are now farmers just like he was a farmer working in us. 
And we need to start building in others just like God was building in us. And we talked about that last week, how it's going to require us to have patience with people and to actually love and care for people and have faith that God can change people and what God can do for others. It's going to require us to help people know what their purpose in life is and to be firm on the truth of God and to see the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. That's all that we build. These are foundational truths that Paul wanted to share with them. And that's why he says in verse, I think it is 11, that he says there's no greater foundation, there is no other foundation than the foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the field that we're going to work. He's the foundation of the building that we're going to design. Jesus is that foundation. So we talked a little bit about that in the last few weeks. And I want to talk in the last few minutes that we have tonight about how do we build that building. What is it that we're building as we build that building? And I, this is not working. Mo, can you go to the next one for me? Uh, and the description of God's work, we talked a little bit about this. And then next here, the definition of a good work. We said anything that the Holy Spirit allows us and fills us to do, uh, to do it in His power and truth. We said uh, that it's His enabling means giving the authority and the ability to do that. And the Holy Spirit does that. And the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit means he goes with us. As Paul said, they're co-laborers. We are co-laborers with Christ. Now, the building, the details of God's work. You'll notice there, if you will, look, open your Bibles there uh, or in your, in your phones or iPads if you have one. Uh, there in 1 Corinthians 3. And if you look in uh, verse number 13 or verse number 12, he says, Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So here's what Paul says. As you build, there's different materials that you can build. How many of you guys, when y'all uh, drove in, saw the new building? Great. At least most of us see, saw it. It's going out really, really quick. Now, if you look at that building and you look at this building, what is something that is very different that you can, uh, that you can say? Does anybody, the height is different, all right. The material is different. What material is different about it? What, what is a different material? What is this one made out of? Anybody know this building? Anybody knocked on the walls? Yes, it's made, of, it's made of blocks, okay? You go around this whole building, it's all blocks. If you go and knock on that building over there, you know what it's made out of? Metal, almost. Not wood, not yet. It's going to have wood inside. But it, right now, it's all metal. There's different, you know, there's different materials that you can use when you build a building. Depending on what the design and the purpose of the building is, you'll use different materials. Now listen, it's important to know that because it applies to your Christian life. When you're going to do God's work, there's different materials that you can use. And Paul shares that here in verse number 12. He says you can use gold, silver, and precious stones. What is gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, gold is the glory of Christ. Anything that you do that will bring glory to Christ is a work of gold for God. It's the materials that God is using to build something that's lasting. So anything in your life that you do 
that brings glory to Christ. You say, well, well, what do you mean that brings glory to Christ? Well, like your attitude. There's a song that the choir sings sometimes, uh, and if you're here throughout the year, you'll, you'll probably hear it at least once or twice. But there's a, it's, a, it's a song, it's a hymn that's written, and it says, I saw Jesus in you. You see, when people see in us not who we are, but who he is, that's a work of gold. Charles Spurgeon was a really famous preacher in the, uh, in the 1800s. Uh, he had as many as 10,000 people that would come and hear him preach every Sunday in the city of London. This was back before there was microphones. He had a very, very loud voice. He was an amazing preacher. The newspaper would actually come to every service, and they would write down his messages and print them the next day on the Monday morning newspaper. He was known all throughout England, a very famous preacher. Uh, in fact, uh, there were so many people that when, wanted to come and hear him preach that there was not enough seats. He was using the Music Hall of London. It seated 10,000 people, and there was more people than that uh, that, could, that wanted to come and hear him preach. And so uh, they had to actually sell tickets to go and hear him preach, and he would sell out. Can you imagine that? A church today that it's so packed that people are buying tickets to go to church just to hear somebody preach? That would be something. But that's what was going on there in the city of London with Charles Spurgeon. And there's a story that was shared by someone that was there at the service that after he had preached, there was um, a, a man, I believe he was from Australia, who had brought some friends to come and listen to Charles Spurgeon preach. And, and after the uh, service... They were talking, and they didn't know that Spurgeon was close by and was able to overhear their conversation. But as they were talking, uh, the man who had brought his friends said, Hey, how did you like the service? What did you think about uh, the service? And the friend said, Man, that was amazing. That man, Charles Spurgeon, wow, that man can preach. The witness that saw this looked at Spurgeon, and Spurgeon began to cry. Asking Spurgeon what was wrong, they, they said, uh, Mr. Mr. Spurgeon, Pastor, what, why are you crying? What, what's wrong? He said, oh, I was just listening to their conversation. And he said, well, what did they say? They said, man, that Charles Spurgeon can preach. And they said, well, why does that make you cry? Are you just really proud of that? He said, no. He said, I wish that they would see Jesus instead of me. You know, when you have a right kind of attitude in your life, your desire is not for people to see you and become followers of you on Instagram and Twitter. But it's just that others might see Christ. See, a work of gold and the work of God is anything that's going to exalt Christ higher than yourself. Paul says, if you're going to have a work that's going to be something for God, it must be something like gold, something that brings Glory to Christ. And then he says silver. And throughout scriptures, as you study silver in the Bible, you'll always find that silver always has redemption tied with it. Like if you were going to buy a slave or a slave was going to buy his freedom, he'd use silver. They, they would always use silver throughout the Old Testament and the different cultures that the Old Testament talks about. Silver always had this idea of redemption. Any work for Christ that's going to be something good, a good material like silver, is, is that work that's done when we share Christ with others. Now here's a great question. 
Some of you go to a school of 2,000 people that need to see a building with silver. But I wonder how many of us are building silver at our school. In other words, how many of us are sharing Christ with others that need to hear of him? You see, as a building and as a builder, we're to build with the right kind of materials. Gold that exalts Christ, silver that shares Christ with others. And then he says precious stones. And this is anything that brings beauty to the position of Christ. In other words, when people see that Christ is your king, he's just not your religion. A lot of that is what is shared today by young people. You, you go to someone and you ask them about church and, oh, that's my religion. But what about Christ? What do you know about Christ? It's amazing sometimes how someone can ask us about our favorite basketball player and we know a lot about him. If you were to ask me about Michael Jordan, man, I, I could tell you he's from North Carolina and, and the high school that he went to, the Buccaneers uh, was their mascot and he went to the University of North Carolina and there's quite a few things I know about him. I don't know him personally, but I've read books about him. He was my favorite player and there's so much that I can tell you about him. But so many times we can know so much about so many people, whether they're athletes or whether they're celebrities from Hollywood. But so many times we know so little about who Christ is. As a master builder in the work of God, building with precious stones is just, is just seeing Christ in his beauty, in who he is, as king, as savior, as Lord, as shepherd, as my provider, as my hope, as my resurrection. There's so much about Christ that's just precious. Any work that we do that brings and highlights the preciousness of Christ is precious stones. Now I want you to notice the last three of the materials that are not really good to build with. Wood, that's stuff that we do in our flesh. Hay, that's things that are temporal, that really does, do not matter in stubble. That's worthless work. So many times I'm afraid in my life, and I hate to confess something like this, but so many times in my life, if I'm honest, I find that I have a lot of this material in my building. A lot of stuff that I want to do on my own, because that's what I want to do. A lot of stuff that's hay that's just temporal that nobody's really going to care about. Like for teenagers sometimes, for us, school is so important. And what we are going to accomplish in our school and in what we're doing, so important that we sacrifice everything that matters for it. But you know what you find at the end? It's that it's just hay. You say, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor. Sure, I'll prove it to you. Do you know who the district champs were here in the Rio Grande Valley in 1984? Does anybody know? And neither do I. And you know why? Because it doesn't matter. Everything that sometimes you look at and you go, oh, this is so important for me. It really isn't. It really isn't. That's hay. 
It's just temporal work. Sure, the newspaper might come this year, but you know what? Ten years from now, they ain't going to look you up. wouldn't matter. That's why the Word of God says we need to build with the right kinds of materials, something that is not temporal, something that's not worthless. Let me give you just two thoughts on this as we finish tonight. Number one is this. God's work is something that is eternal, unmovable, and indestructible. I know sometimes when you get into the college, and some of you guys are seniors, you get into college and it comes to uh, your, your summers, and you want to really want to have your own summers, and I'm, I'm not a totally against that but let me tell you something you ought to consider giving a summer to just work in something that matters like like camp you know i was 10 years old when i went to camp and though i had heard many times the gospel message that summer i heard the gospel message again and i gave my life to christ that work is something that is eternal that's a work that I'm never going to forget. Just because someone decided, I'm not going to live this summer for me. I'm not going to live this summer building wood, hay, and stubble. I'm going to look for something that's gold, silver, and precious stones. Then I want to give you this last thought, and we'll be, we'll be done. Man's work is something that's temporal, unstable, and unreliable. Think about that, young people. You can either decide tonight, I'm going to do something that really, really matters with my life, or I'm going to do something that really won't matter after all. God says, man, I, I've given you all that you need. And I'm willing and ready to work with you. I'm not going to leave you alone in the building. I'm going to be with you. We're going to do this together. And build something that lasts. And we're going we're gonna to grow something that bears some really good fruit. Or we're not. That decision is yours and mine tonight. I want to challenge you, young people. Get into God's work.